Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 77 of The Sco Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield. Happy to be with you on today, Thursday, February 20th, 2020. It's a 2020 day. I kind of like that. What we're going to do today, it's a combine quarterback preview of sorts. This is something that I like to do each season before the combine. I like to write about the most important place in Indianapolis for each of the quarterbacks that are going to be down there. For some, it might be something on the field. For some, it might be something mechanically. For some, it might be something we'll get to see. For some, it might be something we'll never get to see. But it's a way of sort of thinking about these prospects, what they need to accomplish in Indianapolis. Besides, of course, eating at St. Elmo's. I got my reservation for Tuesday night. Pretty excited. A little shrimp cocktail action. It's going to be a fun time out in Indy. Again, getting to see some friends, both new and old, and people from the timeline, names that you'll know. So a lot of stuff to talk about when we get to Indianapolis. Have the combine covered for you here at Pat's Pulpit and places elsewhere. The best way to keep in touch, though, Follow me on the old Twitter machine, at Mark Schofield. Check out the work at places like InsideThePylon.com, Pro Football Weekly, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio. Not one, not two, but three SB Nation websites. That's right. Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, and right here at Pat's Pulpit. The QB Sco Show over at Bleeding Green Nation. Sco Show right here. And hashtag teaser. There's going to be a new title added to the list of titles titles. Get something kicking in the works. More on that later. But let's dive into the combine. And how we're going to do this, I've sort of tiered the quarterbacks in a sense. There's the guys that I expect to be like top five no matter what. Then there's the guys that next tier, tier two, is where I think the fun really begins in this quarterback class. And those are guys that could go anywhere from, you know, sometime day one, sometime on day two. You know, but they're that sort of next group of guys in terms of my confidence in them being NFL quarterbacks. And then there's tier three. These are the guys that I think are more day three quarterbacks, but I think you could draft them comfortably on day three, knowing you'll probably get something in return for taking a shot on them, taking a draft pick and using it on one of these guys, whether it's you know a guy that could grow into a backup or beyond, a guy that could grow into a starter. And then the day four, your like lottery picks. These are the guys I look at as like true developmental types that maybe don't get drafted. Maybe they do. Maybe it's late. Maybe they're undrafted free agents. But there's a reason they're in Indian. We'll talk about that as we get through. And we'll start with the tier one guys, the two guys at the top, Joe Burrow, Tua Tungabailoa. And for both of these guys, what their most important place in Indianapolis is not on the field. I, I think we can go with Tua first because that's an easy one. It's the medicals, right? Dane Brugler is out on Twitter on Wednesday afternoon when I'm recording this talking about the things that matter most in Indy. And what does he say matters the most? The medicals in the interviews. Like, And then there, he has a huge gap between those two things and what we actually see in the on-field workouts. But for Tua, it's clearly the medical rechecks of the hip, of the lower body injuries. That's what's most important for him. Because you can make a case that if it were just on the field trait-based evaluation, maybe there isn't a gap at all between Tua and Burrow. Or maybe if there is, it's slim. But when you factor in the medicals, then you get that gap. And so the medical evaluation, that's Tua's most important place in Indianapolis. As for Burrow, and again, this is just one Hoopleheads opinion. 
the media day podium. Because we're hearing all of this buzz now that maybe he doesn't go to Cincinnati. Maybe he pulls an Eli. He's even out there saying, look, I've got some leverage here too. And while that sounds great to the majority of people that are probably listening to the show, look, he's a talented guy. He's confident in himself. He does have some leverage. Let's remember the people that make decisions in the National Football League probably don't share that opinion. They're a bit more, shall we say, old school. They want to hear the things like, yeah, I want to compete. And yeah, I'm going to make wherever I go better. And yeah, you know, draft me first overall. I'm the best player in this draft. And I hope since he drafts me, they should draft me. I'm the best player here. They want to hear that kind of stuff. And now, to, like I said, to most people that are listening to this show, the fact that the guy's sticking up for his ability and saying that, look, I've got leverage and all that stuff probably makes a ton of sense. But absent me being shocked by a listener or two, most of you aren't in position to make decisions about who your favorite team is going to draft or who the team you work for is going to draft, okay? And so, again, the NFL decision makers, they're more old school. And so Burrow needs to sort of put those people at ease in a sense. And let's face it, he has nothing left to prove on the field. I don't think he has anything left to prove from a, a whiteboard situation. And so I think for Joe Burrow, it's the podium. You know, how is he going to handle all of this? All of the questions that are going to be thrown at him. You know, the media scrum around Burrow and Tua is going to be so massive that I'm probably going to spend my time talking to the, you know, the Jake Fromms, the Jake Luttons, the Cole McDonalds of the world. Because the Thrawn is going to be massive around those two guys. And I think the ultimate troll job by the NFL will be to have both of them come out at the same time and force media members into an absolute panic. But we'll see if that materializes. So those are sort of the tier one guys. Let's get to the next tier. And this is where I think the draft really starts to get fun when you talk about the quarterbacks. We'll start with Justin Herbert. And, you know, I think even though I've got him at like the top of tier two here, I, th- I still think he's a guy that goes first round. I-, I just think that there's a gap between the first two guys and then getting into Justin Herbert. I wouldn't sleep on Justin Herbert. I've been impressed by him. You know, and I might be higher on Herbert than others. But I think for Herbert, it's sort of the meetings, the hotel suite. That's the most important place in Indy for him. You know, he talked about it down in Mobile, how he needs to show that he can be a leader. You know, that was sort of, he was a quiet guy. You know, he needs to show that he can be a leader, that he can lead the franchise, things like that. And so I think that's the most important place for him. Also in tier two, Jordan Love. And I think for him, it's the whiteboard. And there's a couple of different quarterbacks where for different reasons, whiteboard might be part of what they need to show. For Love, I think it's the decision-making. You know, some of the mistakes that he made, the LSU game, the other games this year, left people scratching their heads. The Wake Forest game. He needs to sit down with coaches like a Doug Peterson or whomever and say, look, this is what I was seeing. This is what we're doing. This is how we were running things. Like, I know my decision-making has been questioned. He said that to us down in Mobile. This is what I was seeing. This is how we did things. This is how I'll do things. This is what I'm looking for. Things like that. He needs to show sort of a window into the decision-making process. I think that's a critical component to his evaluation that, again, we don't get a chance to see really on the outside. But I think it will be important for him to highlight and to go through with teams when he's out in Indianapolis. 
Jacob Eason. I'm not a big velocity guy. I'm not a big radar gun guy. Radar gun combine day, when those numbers come out, is usually a day to get away from the timeline because the timeline turns into a disaster area more than usual. I still have flashbacks. I still have nightmares over 49 miles per hour in Deshaun Watson. But the more I evaluate quarterbacks, the more I've come to sort of accept that for some quarterbacks, velocity can be important. You know, velocity can be a part of what they bring to the table and a crutch they can use to rely on as they develop and as they adjust to life in the National Football League. And for Eason, the radar gun is kind of a big moment for him because we anticipate he's going to show out with velocity, right? Most people say, look, he's got a huge arm. And it's true. You see it on film. But when you get the popping, eye-popping kind of number, that might help him as well. Now, look, seeing the ball come out of his hand in person, that's going to be big for evaluators and scouts. I get that. But his ability to sort of flash some velocity, I think, will help him down, I mean, out in Indianapolis. And I know, look, my boy Brett Rippon, he ripped it on the gun last year. It certainly didn't seem to help him, but I think Easton's a different story. He's somebody that's getting first-round buzz. And, you know, I I think his throwing session in the radar gun and all that are going to really help him. And so I think that's a very important place for him. Another guy I've got in tier two. And I know that there are those that don't like him. And I get it. He's not for everybody. That's Jake Fromm. I sort of look at him as somebody at the back of that second group of quarterbacks that it just takes one team to fall in love with him. I was on a Titans podcast the other night, and they were talking about maybe Jake Fromm at 29. You know, if you look at the fact that the the Titans, if they bring Henry back, if they bring Ryan Tannehill back, they don't have a ton of needs, but they'll need a new backup. Could Jake Fromm sneak into the first round? It's not the craziest thing I've heard. Remember, we heard Tom Savage getting some first round love. So, and Jake Fromm is going to be that kind of like safe quarterback pick that doesn't scream, I'm going to get fired if this goes badly, right? Because he's a... SEC kid with a lot of experience, seems to make right decisions. You got Jim Nagy out there on the timeline pumping him up as well. He just screams like the guy that football people are going to like. And so for Jake Fromm to tie into that, I think the whiteboard sessions are important for him too. Not in so much of the, you know, what were you thinking here, but the here's what I've done. Here's what we've run. Here's what I do. Here's the stuff that I do at the line of scrimmage. These were my responsibilities at the line of scrimmage. And so I think that's a moment where Jake Fromm can sort of say, look, maybe you're looking at me as one of those, you know, low ceiling, high high floor type of guys that can come in and if nothing else, be your long-term backup. Here's why I can do that. And so I think the whiteboard session in the meeting rooms, it's going to be huge for Jake Fromm, a chance to sort of differentiate himself between himself and some of the other quarterbacks. And so there's a look at the first two tiers of QBs. Again, I know this is a Patriots show, but the Patriots, quarterback is an issue for them. And as we wait for Tom Brady, Brady Watch 2020. And so could one of these guys be a New England Patriot come April? Perhaps. That's why we do this. So up next, we're going to do the next two tiers of sort of a combine quarterback preview. That is ahead on episode 77 of the SCO Show. 
Mark Schofield back with you now in episode 77 of the Sco Show, talking about each of the combine quarterbacks, all 17 of them, and the most important place for each of these QBs when we get out to Indianapolis next week. And speaking of next week, we'll be out in Indy. We'll have a show Monday. That's my travel day, but we'll have Mock Draft Monday 4.0 for you. And then I'm in Min- I'm in Indy Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and most of the day Thursday. I leave Thursday night, but we'll have some audio, some shows, some articles, all that good stuff out in Indianapolis. Best way, though, follow along for all the hijinks on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Let's get into the next tier, this tier three. These are quarterbacks that I think they come off the board you know, sometime on day three, but I think a team that drafts them could be comfortable that you're going to at least get some value out of these guys. It's not a pure lottery ticket, okay, that... If nothing else, these guys could develop into a backup, a solid number two option for you, which has some value in the National Football League. And we'll start, you know, these aren't exactly ordered, but Anthony Gordon, uh, the Washington State kid who I've talked about a lot here on this show. Obviously, he was down in Mobile, Senior Bowl game, MVP for the North squad. And for him, it's where his feet meet the Lucas Oil turf, his footwork. You know, because it's something that's a bit messy right now. And it stems from a Mike Leach system and the air raid offense that he's running. But if you think about the juxtaposition between where he is right now and where Gardner Minshew was when he was coming out, they're two completely different quarterbacks. Minshew, the footwork was it was great. It was fluid when he was working through his reads, going full field, left to right, like you told me about in Mobile last year. You see the feet underneath him as he's going through his reach, so he's always ready to throw. By contrast, Gordon, none of that. Very statuesque. He'll be scanning through his reads, going full field, left to right, and his feet don't move with him. And so I want to see if his footwork, I know it's something he's working on with Sage Rosenfeld. I want to see if that footwork is improving. And so, you know, when he gets his workout in, that's where I'll be watching. I'll be watching his feet. Jalen Hurts. And similar to Burrow, I think an important spot for, for Hertz is going to be the podium. You know, we know what's probably coming his way. Questions about maybe a position switch or questions about whether he can play at the next level. I want to see how he handles those moments. I know Jalen Hurts is going to be great in the meetings and on the whiteboard and all that stuff. Smart, knowledgeable, leader-type kid. Has said and done all the right things from his time at Alabama and at Oklahoma. But I want to also see that at the podium, too. I think that's going to be an important thing for him. Yes, there are some things mechanically that will be interesting to see. If he's tightened up the mechanics a bit, how does he handle it when he's asked to throw on the move? Because one of the things I've noticed with him, once he gets moving, doesn't seem to want to stop moving. You know, does it, Once he makes that transition from passer to runner, it's hard for him to transition back. So I want to see that. Also in Tier 3 for me, Jake Lutton, the kid from Oregon State. I know that some are high on him, some are low on him. Again, opinions of him do vary. But I'm relatively high on him. I want to see something mechanically from him. It's something we were talking about today in the Scotia Slack channel, recording this on Wednesday. You know, He does have that tendency to lock up the front leg a bit, something we talked about with Tyree Jackson last year. Taller quarterbacks. But what I'm going to be watching is his left shoulder and left hip. Why? Because he over-torques a ton. It's a violent, twisting, torquing, throwing motion. And it's partly because, as we were talking about on the Slack channel, if he locks up that front leg, you have a tendency to lose velocity because it works like a brake, stopping your forward momentum. A way to sort of overcompensate for that, violent torque of the upper body. And it seems like that's what he does to sort of overcome it. 
And so I want to see if he can get away from that. I want to see if he can get away from that violent torque of the upper body. And so that's what I'll be watching for, that left shoulder, that left hip. Does he sort of dial it back a bit? Also in tier three, Cole McDonald. And if you follow me on Twitter, you saw me making a fool out of myself on Wednesday, going through some Cole McDonald film yet again, and talking myself back into Cole McDonald. Now, I think he's somebody that is that sort of guy that Probably becomes a long-term, your ceiling for him might be long-term backup spot starter. And again, that has some value. You can recoup that if you draft him sometime on day three. What I did on Wednesday is I rewatched yet again for like the third or fourth time his opening game of the year against Arizona. And then I watched his bowl game, which I hadn't seen yet, his game against BYU. And they seem to be two completely different quarterbacks. You know, in that first game, McDonald was a bit of a beautiful mess. Everything was all over the place. The drops were all over the place. The mechanics was all over the place. A big loop and drawback. By the end of the season, the upper body mechanics seemed to tighten up a bit. But I, that's what I'm going to be watching. I'm going to be watching the mechanics because he had this more of an elongated loop to his throw in motion early in the year. It seemed like he had tried to clean that up a bit because by the bowl game, it was more of a Slight dip and draw. So it does seem like he's cleaning up the mechanics. And look, he's an aggressive kid. One of my favorite plays from that bowl game. They're down three with a minute and a half to go. They're in their own territory. It's a third and one. They're out of timeouts. But look, college rules. You get a first down, you get a timeout. He's got a crossing route working right to left that's open right in front of his face. But he sees covered too. So he rips this ridiculous whole shot downfield and he connects on it. Gets him a uh, first and 10 just outside the red zone. Then the next play rips a band-aid for a touchdown and they beat BYU. I was blown away by that sequence. And so I'm sort of talking myself back into Cole McDonald, at least as a day three option here. And I want to see his mechanics get tightened up. Finally in tier three, another name that I'm slowly willing into existence. I do think that he's going to turn some heads out in, out in Indy. And that's Nate Stanley from Iowa. I want to see sort of the footwork, the mechanics, the weight transfer. Like, that's what I'm going to be watching for. But I think he's going to impress some people. And I think with his experience, the offense that he's run, there are places where he could be a very solid option as a day three pick. New England's one of them. Now, obviously, a lot of it depends on Tom Brady and things like that. But if Brady comes back and they get a pick sometime late, you know, fifth, sixth round, and they want to just make sure they've got some competition in there for Jared Stidham. May the best win, win kind of thing. Nate Stanley makes some sense. And so I'm going to be seeing the mechanics for him. The feet, the weight transfer, and stuff like that. Get into Tier 4 now. These are more lottery picks. Again, in no real particular order. Shea Patterson, the Michigan quarterback. I want to see some consistency from him. It seemed like both on his film and then even down in Mobile during the Senior Bowl, that was what was lacking. And I want to see consistency from him. You know, can he put the ball where it needs to be on a consistent basis or not? That's what I'll be looking for there. James Morgan from FIU. Similar to Eason, I want to see him on the gun. He seems to have big-time arm talent. I want to see that sort of check out. I want to see how the ball spins out of his hand. I want to see the velocity. 
So that's what I'll be looking out during for during his throwing session. Steven Montez from Colorado. You know, I want to see similar to Patterson consistency from him. I wrote a piece, The Curious Case of Mr. Montez, over at Matt Waldron's site, mattwaldronrsp.com, talking about how at times it's like, yeah, the kid gets it. And at times it's like, yeah, the kid doesn't get it. And they could be the same route concept against the same coverage, against the same team in the same game on successive drives, because that's literally what I wrote. And so I sort of just want to see some consistency from him. You know, can he put it together? And I know, look, it's a sterilized throwing session. But that's what I want to see. Brian Lewerke, remember? Because Pepper Charm remembers. The Brian Lewerke buzz a couple of summers ago. There was a thought that he might be the guy that rises. He's going to make a name for himself. And it never really took place a year ago. You know, this past season as well, it didn't kind of come together for him. And I want to see his feet as well. And it's sort of similar to Jalen Hurts. That fight or flight issue that I have with Lewerke. There are times when he's an athletic kid, he gets outside of the pocket and doesn't really make that transition back to passer. And he leaves things on the table. He tries to create too much when what he really needs to do is just Fight in the pocket. Stay in the pocket. Make throws from clean pockets. You watch his Ohio State game. And look, I get it. You see number two across the line of scrimmage. You want to run away from him. That's a human. I get it. But it seemed like he vacated a lot of clean pockets in that game, especially when they were sliding their protection to Chase Young all the time. He was doubled throughout that entire game. And he was still, you know, three-man rush. One of them is Chase Young who's being doubled. He's basically running. And I know, again, in a sterilized throwing session that we're going to see at the Combine, you don't really get a chance to mimic pocket pressure. But I do sort of want to see him stay, set the feet, and throw. One more, two more quarterbacks. Kevin Davidson from Princeton. He's somebody we talked a bit about before the Shrine game, and I mentioned something with him, and I got a chance to dive deeper into his film. I want to see his ball carriage. You watch Davidson, his game against Dartmouth, for example, three passes that didn't get past the line of scrimmage. Two were just tipped and incomplete. The other was a pick six. The ball carriage is low. And sometimes that messes with his release point, number one. And number two, the ball comes out slower than it should as a result because he has to then get it up to throw. Both he and James Morgan have that low ball carriage. It's not really high up in the armpit or so. It's more down lower. You know, and I know coaches nowadays, it used to be you want that right in the armpit, but now so co- coaches are now saying, no, maybe sort of the, the chest nipple area is okay. But even these two guys, Davidson and James Morgan, it's down low at the bottom of their numbers. Morgan still snaps it out pretty quickly. He's got that quick release to him, which helps. But Davidson doesn't. Doesn't have that quick release that Morgan does and doesn't have the sort of the arm talent that Morgan does. And so I want to see if he's worked to sort of clean that up, get that ball up a little bit higher in the carriage, which will help him get it out quicker. So that's something I'll be looking for with him. And then finally, Kelly Bryant from Missouri. And he's a name that not many have talked about, myself included. 
But as I'm getting ready to go to Indy, I, I wanted to take a look at him. And I have a strange, it's not a full-on comp, okay? But it's just a feeling I get watching him. Because what I'm going to be watching for is left hip and shoulder. Similar to Jake Lutton, but for a different reason. Because it seems in Kelly Bryan's case, there are times when he doesn't involve them enough. He doesn't use them to get torque, to generate torque, to generate power on his throws. And I think if he involves those parts of his body more in his throwing motion, he might dial up the velocity. But here's the sort of feeling I get watching him. He's athletic. He's competitively tough. Ball placement is an issue. Misses on a lot of throws. Even though, look, the completion percentage, it's above 60%. There's a difference between good ball placement and a good completion percentage. You could have a good completion percentage, but poor ball placement. And I think that's a situation we have with Kelly Bryant. The vibe I get, believe it or not, is Dak Prescott. And I'm not saying that it's a one-to-one comparison. I'm not saying that you should draft him early because he's the next Dak. It's just the feeling I get watching him because of some of the issues I have with him are problems that I saw in Dak Prescott. Now, when I ranked Dak Prescott quarterback 17 in that quarterback class of 2016, it was because of the poor ball placement. I thought, look, you can't teach accuracy. If he's not accurate in college, he won't be precise with throws in, in the pros. The windows are going to be smaller. It's going to be tough on down the line. But what I missed on Prescott was the competitive toughness. And that's why when I evaluated it, I wanted to learn from the lesson. And so the next year, competitive toughness was a huge reason why Deshaun Watson was my QB1. Kelly Bryant has that competitive toughness too. You can see it on film. You see it in the fact that he transfers from Clemson to Missouri. His former Clemson teammates, they come to his spring game to see him play. You know, that's somebody that's going to inspire people. That's that sort of competitive fire that you want in a quarterback. Do I think it translates into Kelly Bryant being the next Dak Prescott? Sitting here right now, no. But I'm just saying, that's the vibe I get watching him. And so while he's not the guy that many are talking about, I'm going to be watching that left hip, that left shoulder. And not saying I'm like, pumping this kid up or you should go draft him or whatever. Just keep an eye on him. You know, a lot of people wonder why guys like uh, Tyler Huntley and Perkins, the Virginia kid, aren't here. I believe they were combined snubs in a sense and people might point to Brian and say, well, maybe he's the one that shouldn't be here. But I see something there. It's worth a late round flyer or if nothing else, getting this guy in as a UDFA. I see something there. But there you have it, sort of a combine quarterback preview, the most important places out in Indy for all 17 of these guys. Up next, Mock Draft Monday 4.0. That will be Monday and the next week live from Indianapolis, all the fun associated with the NFL scouting combine. Until next time, friends, please send in your Mock Drafts from Mock Draft Monday 4.0 and do keep on blessing that Patriots reign down in Foxborough.